We're doing a series on David, and David was singled out in the Bible as being referred to as a man after God's own heart. And so we're looking at what was so special about David that meant that he carried that title. But you know, as well as all the good things that David did, he did some shocking things. And so today I want to talk about when it is best to confront someone who's made a mistake. When is it best to confront a person who is doing damage, who is causing harm? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. So sometimes we see people that are going down a wrong road, a harmful road, that's going to cause damage. Do we let them continue down that road? Or do we get alongside them, tap them on the shoulder, and confront them and talk to them? You know, we all want to know the truth about ourselves, don't we? But there are some other areas that we just really don't want to know. Thankfully, we have a God who reveals truth, who carries knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. The question is, are we ready and prepared to receive the wisdom of God? For example... The bathroom scales. <laughs> you know, we hop on them from time to time, and it's usually first thing in the day, after we've been to the bathroom, before we've eaten any food. We make sure we take off all of our clothes, all of our jewellery, hair pieces. And then we tentatively get on to those scales. And if they don't give us the numbers that we're wanting, that we're wanting, expecting to see, then we just conclude that they're not working properly. <laughs> but in reality, scales are tools of accountability. They tell us about reality. And we may try to outsmart them but they will reveal the truth if we allow them to. It's the same with the word of God. Have a look at Proverbs 4 verse 20. It says, Pay attention to my words. Let them penetrate deep within your heart, for they bring life and radiant health to anyone who discovers their meaning. Above all, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Study God's word. Look for God's wisdom, knowledge, truth, direction in all that you do. Because we all need truth-tellers in life. We all have weaknesses and blind spots. We need someone to warn us if we're going off the track. Someone who will question our motives and examine our actions and conscience. 
Every one of us has that capacity to live in denial, to deny or suppress those things that we know are true. Sometimes we'll tell a white lie to spare someone else's feelings or to make ourselves look better than we really are. We may be afraid to have a mentor or a truth teller in our lives because we're afraid of what we might find out about ourselves and we may be forced to change. Proverbs 12 verse 15 the way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise person listens to advice. Are you a fool or are you a wise person? Ephesians 5.17, don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were all doing what God wants us to do? being led by his spirit, rather than going our own way, going down our own path. Jesus said in John 8:32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We need to hunger after God's truth because it will set us free from these things that are pulling us back in life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went on to say, one who, because of sensitivity and superiority, rejects the serious words of another Christian, cannot speak the truth in humility to others. Such a person is afraid of being rejected and feeling hurt by another's words. Sensitive, irritable people will always become flatterers and very soon they will come to despise and slander other Christians in their community. When another Christian falls into obvious sin, a warning is imperative because God's word demands it. The practice of discipline in the community of faith begins with friends who are close to each other. Words of warning and rebuke must be risked. Does any sin have control over you? Do you desire to be informed of your faults and failings? Do you desire to be transparent and open, to openly reveal your true feelings? There was an event in the life of King David that illustrates this problem very, very well. One year, when David's armies went off to war, King David decided that he was going to stay at home. David thought to himself, I don't want to go. I don't have to go. And that was very unusual for David. He was getting older. He wasn't getting the same looks from the young women in his kingdom. He's going through a midlife crisis. He's restless, bored. He wants to feel young and alive again. But he doesn't share these thoughts and feelings with anyone else. But one day, as he's walking on the roof of the palace, he sees a woman bathing on the roof of the house next door. She's extremely attractive. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so David thinks, maybe she can make my life a bit more interesting. Maybe she can make me feel younger. So he sends his servant off to check her out. 
and he receives a mild pushback. The servant responds, it's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He's basically saying, this woman is somebody else's wife. She's married, so be careful. If David was close to the Lord, he'd have, he'd ha have listened to that warning. But David thinks he's in control. He thinks he can do what he likes. He sends for her. He sleeps with her. And then he sends her home. Bathsheba conceives and sends word to David saying, I'm pregnant. David arranges for her husband to return home from his army duties. But Uriah, her husband, won't go home and enjoy time with his wife while all his friends are on that battlefield. So David sends him back into the war zone, along with instructions to the general to have him in the front line where he will be killed in the battle. Uriah was killed. David sends for Bathsheba, marries her, and she has his son. David thinks that he's successfully navigated that incident. He's living a life of hypocrisy and hiddenness. He's pretending to worship God. But deep inside of him is this secret guilt of his unrepentant adultery and murder. Day after day, his heart becomes hardened as he grows more and more used to his dishonesty. This continues until one day the Lord sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. Nathan is going to hold David accountable. David needs to be living up to those psalms that he's written. Imagine what must have been going on in Nathan's heart. Will David be responsive to what I've got to say? Will he be repentant? There are many reasons why Nathan could postpone this conversation. He might be thinking, who am I to confront David? I've also lusted in my heart. I'm no better than he is. There must be somebody else in David's life who is better suited to talk to him than I am. David has already killed one man to cover up his crimes. He could do the same again. Nathan thinks and prays about the best way to approach the king and to try to get through to him. Nathan is angry with David, but he also loves and cares about him. And so he goes to David and he tells David a story about a rich man who steals a poor man's only possession, his one little sheep. You can read about it in 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 12. And this story captures David's sympathy and passion for justice. David responds, this man deserves to die. And you know, we can also get fired up about someone else's problem, yet be blind to our own. And then Nathan looked David straight in the eye and he said, you are the man. 
Truth-telling is often avoided in churches today because of fear. Speaking the truth can sometimes cause chaos. It's stressful. It costs time and energy. People take offence and storm off in anger, taking their problems with them. It's easier to trade truth for peace, to say nothing, to avoid conflict. Unfortunately, a polite, agreeable, gentle community eventually becomes stagnant. It's not going anywhere. Telling people only what they want to hear is not love, and it stifles growth and fruitfulness. People who are engaged in destructive, damaging behaviour need a mirror. They need someone to tell them the truth, just like Nathan did. Truth-telling and gentle confrontation is a key requirement of biblical leadership. But then there's another problem. Some people are very touchy and they spend their whole lives going around correcting other people. John Vanier writes the following. This was a guy that used to run Christian communities. He said, I'm struck by the people who come into our communities and very quickly put their finger on failings without being able to see anything good. They believe that their gift is to be a saviour, a person who speaks truth recreationally, but does it without love. Such a person blasts away and passes judgment in a spirit of arrogant superiority. What burns deeply in their heart is anger rather than love. You know, many people suffer from self-inflicted wounds, from mistakes, bad choices, and sin. And Gordon MacDonald identifies five factors which exacerbate or contribute to this. The first is our potential, our failure to recognize the tendency to be drawn towards sin. We, don't, we think that we're bulletproof. We think we can do anything. We don't realize that we're weak, that we can be pulled into a harmful area. The second is an unguarded strength. If you think you are strong in an area, then in actual fact, often you're weak because you've got blind spots. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10, when I am weak, then I am strong. If you think you're strong, then often you're weak in that area. Third, a tempting environment. Don't put yourself into a position, a situation where you're likely to be tempted. You know, as, as a pastor, as a counsellor, I won't have, my, I won't have a, be counselling a woman in my room with the door closed. And there's a, there's a glass window in my door. You just have to be very, very careful in all areas, particularly if you think you're strong in a particular area. Also, fourthly, is exhaustion. When you're worn out, when you're weary, you're likely to do rash things. The fifth is past influences. 
And look at your family culture. Look at your family history. What has happened? What has derailed your family in the past? Because you are highly susceptible to that thing. Because that's become the norm. That's become the behavior in your family. And somehow that's got into the way you think. And you can be influenced in a similar way. Tony Compolo adds a sixth factor to those five factors. And he calls this the vulnerability that comes from unmet needs. For example, if a couple does not meet each other's physical, sexual, and emotional needs, then they're both living in a heightened state of vulnerability to temptation. God has given us our wives, our husbands, our spouses, and we're to enjoy a love relationship with those people. If we're being deprived of certain things in certain ways, then that can lead to temptation and infidelity. Some people may have a problem with pride or insecurity. And so that's why we all need to have a spiritual leader or mentor to meet with us and to pray with us or to have a very open, transparent relationship with your spouse where if there is something that's going on that you're a bit concerned about, you share it with your spouse. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If there's an area that you're shaking on, if there's an area that you're battling in your life, come and talk to someone about it. You know, pastors are confidential. I've had people come to me and confide in me and hold me accountable to keep them accountable in areas that would shock you. And if someone comes to me and shares intimate details, then I have to respect that confidentiality. And I can promise you, if you share something with me, I will not tell anyone else about it. The first step in the healing process is to admit that we have a problem. That verse again, confess your sins one to another so that you can be healed. If you confess them, that's the first step to get yourself out of that problem. Romans 12, 21. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Learn to respond in the opposite spirit to the spirit that is opposing you. If someone comes to you in anger, don't respond in anger. Respond in love. Cut off that negative emotion by responding in a positive spirit. You can get an atmosphere in a room. You can walk into a room and you can cut the air with a knife because of the tension in that room. How do you change that? What do you carry in your spirit? You carry the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God comes upon you. And you want to be led by that Spirit. And so don't be overcome with, e with evil. Recognize that anger for what it is. Recognize that irritability, those lies, that accusation. 
and change the atmosphere wherever you go. Bring light and life everywhere you go. Proud people are often blind to their problems and unteachable. Proverbs 16 verse 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. If you're a proud person, then you don't accept correction from other people. And you may have to face the consequences of the bad choices that you make. And that may come in the form of bankruptcy or a marriage breakup, dismissal from work. As the Holy Spirit reveals things to you, things in your life that you need to change, deal with them straight away. If you can't deal with them on your own, talk to someone else about it. Proverbs 18 verse 19 says, A brother offended is harder to defend than a strong city. Deal gently with people. Stay in relationship with people. Keep honesty and openness there in your friendships. And Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2 tells us how to approach someone who is struggling in life. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another brother is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. There are many people who judge someone who makes a mistake. They look down on them. They say, oh, you've, you stupid person, what did you do this for? I would never do anything like that. As soon as you say, I would never do anything like that, you're actually putting yourself at risk. And you're... You're moving outside of grace and love. Approach those people with love and compassion. Look at it from your perspective. Think, if I had done that thing, if I'd fallen into that hole, if I'd made that mistake, how would I be feeling right now? Because most people, when they're repentant, the last thing they want is judgment, criticism. Someone beating them up about the mistake they've made. They know that. You don't have to rub salt into a wound. Give them love with gentleness. Hundreds of people get bitter and twisted through small hurts in their lives that they've never dealt with. It takes great effort to stay free from sin and offence. And Paul compares that to exercising. In Acts 24 verse 16, he says, I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and towards men. Wow. That's a verse we all need on our desks. Serious? Sometimes you just feel a slight tension towards someone. You know, um, you're just not as free or they've walked past you and they haven't greeted you. Just write them an email or a text and just say, how's it going? Um, missed you at church on Sunday. Is everything okay? When that thought comes to your mind, act on it because that's the, the Holy Spirit prompting you. And so aim to have no barrier between you and God. Aim to get on with everyone around you, to be 
in relationship with everyone. A person who is centered on Christ is less likely to be pulled in the wrong direction. You know, Jesus was never frightened about asking those hard questions. He asked his disciples what they were arguing about when they were walking down the road, even though he knew what the answer was. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest when they got to heaven. He knew that, but he wanted to bring that conversation out into the light. He said to people, why do you call me Lord when you don't even do what I've asked you to do? And asking a question is a really good entry point into a conversation. Don't come in accusatory. Ask them a question. Oh, wh- why did you do that the other day? Oh, I was surprised about this. What was, what was happening then? Put the ball in their court. We're all on a journey in life. The Lord is constantly revealing and teaching us new things. If we're open and teachable, we'll enjoy this learning, growing experience. God may use other people to reveal things that will help us to grow and mature. You know, there's this expectation that if you're a pastor, you're perfect. And I can assure you that I'm far from it. And that when we admit our weaknesses and our failings, God gives us the grace to overcome them. When we repent, God is forgiving and he gives us the power to change. In Matthew chapter 1, there is the genealogy of Jesus. And in the genealogy of Jesus, only five women are mentioned. And these five women are Tamar, Rahab, um, Bathsheba, Mary, and Ruth. Of those five people, five women, two of them were prostitutes. One was a widow, the other was an adulterer. God uses the weak. If you've mucked up in life, that does not disqualify you. The interesting thing is that Bathsheba, this woman that, Je- that David committed adultery with, that first baby, when it was born, it died. The second son that she had was Solomon, who became the next king of Israel. David had five wives. He had lots of children. Some of them were born before Solomon. Some of them were older than Solomon. But who did God choose to be the next king of Israel? The son of an adulterer. Don't blame your history for yourself today. God is redemptive. God can take anyone. God will forgive anyone. And often because of the difficulties that we've been through in life, we can empathize, we can understand and relate to other people and their difficulties. In fact, most of the people in the Bible who walked close to God had periods when they failed him. People like Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Peter, and as we've just heard, David, the man after God's own heart. So let's put away our pride and humbly acknowledge our weaknesses. 
Ask Jesus to draw near to us, to help us, and to set us free. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. We give you permission to do a work in our lives. Protect us when evil tempts us. Humble us when we grow full of ourselves. Help us to take the advice of others that you send to us. Give us the grace to help and forgive others. We desire to love you, to serve you, and to give you all the glory, honour and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.